Corinthians 15, sorry, that, that if there was no physical, real resurrection, that then basically our faith is futile. There is no faith. Christianity is not real. If there was no physical resurrection of the Lord Jesus, there's nothing to preach because it was all a lie. Our future depends on a physical resurrection. Paul says if Jesus wasn't raised on the third day from the dead, then we're sat here wasting our time this morning. There is no faith. But as I said on Good Friday, the triumph of the cross, the triumph of the cross is the great hope for resurrection. And really in this passage in Acts chapter 10 uh, is really a little mini-sermon by Peter. He sort of brings the whole whole gospel together, if you will. It's a beautiful little mini-sermon that he preaches in Acts chapter 10. It's the whole package. The whole sort of shebang of Jesus and who he is. It gives us that full picture of his life, his death. And the future. It explains what Jesus means. And how he affects the life of every person in the world. Whether they like it or not. And so Peter really. In these few verses. He exalts Jesus. He he bestows praise on Jesus. He lifts the name of Jesus up in honour. For who he is to these people in Acts chapter 10. Because he finally realises, he finally understands that in God's eye there's no such thing as a a Jew or Gentile. He he recognises in verse 36 that it's about faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That God doesn't show favouritism. That the gospel is for all nations, for all peoples. For those who put their trust in Christ. There's no racial divide. At the cross Jesus destroyed it. It doesn't matter about what race you are. It doesn't matter what background you are from. It doesn't matter what you've done in your life. Because at the cross and in Christ's resurrection, he destroyed all that. So that there will be one people who will be distinguished through their faith in the Lord Jesus I remember listening to a sermon when I was in America a few years ago. And it was uh, by Thabiti Anoa'i. I can't remember where he's from. But he's a pastor of this amazing church uh, on a little island somewhere. And he says, the church is full of many races, but one culture. God's culture. And that's what God did in, in the resurrection. And that's what Peter is finally seeing In Acts chapter 10, it's about the fact that the gospel is for all people. The fact that it's not just for one little group. He doesn't show favoritism. Sorry, verse 34, that was in. And all this hinges, Peter realises, on Jesus. The life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the future of Jesus. It all hinges on the Lord Jesus. And there's at least six ways that Peter exalts Jesus. Are we up on the screen? I think we're up on the screen somewhere. We should be up there. Six reasons, six ways that Peter exalts Jesus. But we'll put it into three little things because he talks about his life, he talks about his death and resurrection, he talks about the future. So the first point is that Jesus is the Lord of all who brings peace. Verses 36 
to 38. Jesus is the Lord of all who brings peace. The first way that Peter exalts Jesus, lifts Jesus up, is as the one whom God appoints to bring peace into this world. This peace is a reconciling peace. A reconciling peace with God and neighbour. It's interesting how Peter's sermon begins and ends in verse 43 with that theme. He repeats that basically forgiveness is through Christ and forgiveness brings peace. Forgiveness brings peace to the sinner. It makes us right with God. There's no division, there's no separation, there's no animosity, there's no barrier. When we come to Christ and we receive forgiveness, we are at peace with God. We are no longer running away from God. We are with God in peace. And that peace should lead to peace with all men. Peace with our neighbour, love for our neighbour. And that's what Peter is seeing in, in these verses. He knows that Jesus came to reconcile, came to knock all that stuff away, all that badness, everything that gets in the way of us having peace with God. He He came to reconcile sinners to God. You know, the Bible tells us that the reason our lives lack so much peace, the reason we see so many broken lives in the world, ruined relationships, sadness, unhappiness, the way we try and seek satisfaction, fulfillment, happiness in so many wrong places, the reason we turn to drink and drugs and other self-pleasuring vices is because this is a world that has no peace. It's because we are not at peace with the Creator God. Yet God, in His great act of love, sent Jesus to bring that peace, to make it possible to have a peaceful relationship with our Maker, but also with mankind. But isn't it sad that even Christians lack that peace at times in our lives? Isn't that true that we claim to know Christ? We claim to have been blessed by Christ. We we claim to be in this wonderful relationship with God. Yet yet we can so often lack peace. In in our lives we're so unhappy. We're we're so, so many problems and issues going on in our lives. We wonder where is this great peace? It's often in the worst times. It's those times that we don't draw near to God. We don't trust Jesus, the peace giver, enough. Peter says the reason Jesus came was to give you peace. Peace in every situation. Peace in every possible way we can think. Because ultimately he came to bring you peace with God. But Peter secondly exalts Jesus not only as the peace bringer, but the Lord of all, verse 36. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Peter is clear that Jesus isn't just the Lord of the Jews. He's not just the Lord of the Gentiles. He is the Lord of all, the Lord of the universe, everything in it. And it's that Lord that went to the cross. That Lord who was willing to give up so much so that we can know that peace with God. 
You wouldn't expect a Lord, when we think of Lords today, to do things like that, would you? But this Lord, the Lord of all, was willing to give up everything that the Father had given to him so that we can know peace. The third way that he exalts Jesus is reminding us that God anointed Jesus with the power of his Spirit. You know what happened throughout the providence of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, literally with the Spirit's power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Peter makes it clear that Jesus was a man. He refers to him, doesn't he, as Jesus of Nazareth. He wants to make it clear that the Jesus of Nazareth, who they knew about, who they saw, who they walked with, who they talked with, who did all these amazing things, was literally a man, but also the Son of God. The one whom God anointed with the Spirit's power to do God's work, to bring God's gospel into fruition. But he wants in the way that he's wording this to make it clear to everybody, to us today, that he was not like the rest of mankind. He was thoroughly different. He was fully God, yet became fully man. Giving up all his heavenly rights, humbling himself to the will of God for the sake of peace and reconciliation. And Peter tells us that Jesus went out doing his work in the power of the Holy Spirit. He, he did good. He healed. He performed miracles. What Peter recognizes is that Jesus' ministry was so unique because when we see in the Gospels Jesus ministering to people, we see God ministering too. Do you see that at the end of verse 38? But he did all this because God was with him. Jesus' ministry was so unique because God the Father and God the Son ministered together. When we see Jesus performing these miracles, it's because God the Father was with him performing them at the same time. Why do you think so often Jesus prayed to God? They were in it together all the time. And together they gave us this wonderful picture of a future hope. Together, the Father and the Son healed. They did good things. They, they performed miracles. They blessed people. They turned people's lives around. It's a great picture of hope, isn't it, of the future. That's the promise of the gospel. That's what Jesus' death and resurrection secures for us. What we see in the gospels, when we see Jesus and the Father healing and blessing and, and turning lives around, raising people from the dead, we're seeing a picture of the future. God and the Son are reversing the problems in the world. They're giving us a taste of what is to come at the final resurrection. Of that final resurrection where Jesus will return. And where those blessings that we read about in the gospels will be fully, fully seen in all its glory. No more sin, no more pain, no more suffering. The reason Jesus did what he did was because he and the Father were in it together. They wanted to show the world what is to come, the power 
And this power, we are told, that Jesus had was and is greater than sin and Satan himself. Do you see that in verse 38? Healing all who were under the power of the devil. This is why they're giving us this foretaste of the future, this hope that you and I can have by being made into that right relationship with God through Christ Jesus, the peace giver. The power of the devil has no hold on the risen Jesus. This power had no hold on Jesus in his life because God was with him. Nothing could get in the way of Jesus' ministry, especially the one who wants to tear us away from God. Friends, can I ask you, have you got that peace this morning? Do you have that peace in your heart, in your lives, in your mind? Are you living in that peaceful, reconciled relationship with God? Jesus came as the peace bringer. Jesus came as the one to say, you can have that peace with God. And on this Resurrection Sunday, that call, that, that invitation to peace is always on the table. And it's to be received with thankful hearts. And if you are a Christian and you, you, your life is, is just seems in a mess, that you seem distraught with the things that are going on around you, and y- your life is, is confused. Can I ask you on this Resurrection Sunday, come back to the peace giver. Come back to the one who brings peace. Pour out your troubles to him. That's why Jesus says, come to me all who are heavy laden. Come to me those who are sad and and in pain and suffering. And I will give you rest. Literally, we will find peace in Christ. Well, the second thing in this sermon, is that Jesus is the death-conquering saviour so that we can have that peace. We're looking at verses 39 to 41 and 43. Peter moves from Jesus' life to his death and resurrection, but continues to lift up the name of Jesus, continues to bestow praise on him, to exalt the name of Jesus. And the fourth way that he does that is, in spite of his goodness, he was killed, verse 39. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on the cross. In spite of the fact that he was a peace bringer, a peacemaker. In spite of the fact that he was Lord of all. In spite of the fact that he was anointed by the Holy Spirit spirit and power. And was stronger than sin and the devil. And that God was with him. He was killed. Well, there is only one possible reason that a sinless, innocent man, the Lord of all, the peace bringer, anointed with spirit and power, who did great things. There is only one possible reason that he was killed. And that's that God willed it to happen and sin caused it to happen. Peter doesn't explain it. He gives it as facts. The Gospels and the New Testament writings, even the Old Testament, fill in the details, telling us that Jesus' death was part of God's salvation plan to bring salvation, to bring forgiveness, to bring peace into the sinner's life. We see that, we're reminded again, aren't we, in verse 43. All the prophets, 
the Old Testament prophets, all the prophets testify about Jesus, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. The only way to deal with sin, to take the punishment that sin deserves, was for Jesus to be a sacrifice, to be our substitute, to take our place. And he did it at the cross. And Peter exalts Jesus for that. He praises Jesus that not only is he the peace bringer, but he's the sin bearer. He became sin for sinners. But the fifth way Peter exalts Jesus is by reminding us that Jesus is alive from the dead, raised by the Father on the third day. He was not seen, sorry, verse 39, they killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. Not only did God raise his peace bringer, his peace giver from the dead, he raised him to new life. He defeated death. He defeated the one thing that is the result of sin, which is death. He was raised to life to to show that that it wasn't going to hold God and his plan for salvation so that through his death we can have new life in the risen, conquering Lord Jesus' life. Therefore, in Jesus, we can find that peace with God because in the Lord Jesus, the risen Lord Jesus, friends, we can find forgiveness by trusting in Jesus as the sin-beating, death-conquering, peace-bringing Lord of all. And Peter says, Jesus is worth so much praise, isn't he, for that. Jesus is worth so much praise and glory and honour. And Peter wants us to be absolutely clear that this was a real, physical resurrection. People will tell you that it was just a sort of spiritual thing. People will tell you it didn't happen. People will tell you that there was a sort of ghost of Jesus. And it's all wrong. It's all wrong. This was a real physical resurrection so that we can have hope in a real physical resurrection too. And Peter tells us that this was witnessed by many people. People ate and drank with the Lord Jesus. People rejoiced and sang with the Lord Jesus. People enjoyed the the presence again of the Lord Jesus. And the reality for you and me is that death has no hold of Jesus. And because of that glorious truth, death has no hold on those who believe in his name. I wonder how much it really excites you as Christians, if you are a Christian, That one day, just like those people experienced the resurrection of Jesus, they ate with him, they drank with him, they sang with him most likely, they they enjoyed his his physical presence. Does it excite you that that's what's in store for us? Why do you look so miserable then? (laughs) That's what we've got. That's what Jesus has secured for us in his death and resurrection. Isn't it a great thing? We will sit and eat with Jesus. On Good Morning Thursday, we, we talked about the Passover, the four cups of the Passover, that final cup, the cup of restoration, where Jesus will come and bring us into his glorious kingdom, where we will eat at that heavenly banquet. Peter says, isn't that worth praising and lifting up the name of Jesus for? 
That's what Christ has secured for us in his death and resurrection, friends. Death has no hold of Jesus. It had no hold of him. And because of that, it has no hold on those who believe in the name of Jesus. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The third thing that Peter tells us that Jesus is the final judge of all people, verse 42. He commanded us, that is Jesus commanded us, to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. Paul tells us in Philippians 2 that Jesus not only humbled himself and became obedient to death, but that God exalted Jesus, literally raised him up from both the dead and to the highest place, the throne of heaven. That's what we sung in that song, seated on his throne. Behold our God. And not only that, that God gave Jesus the name that is above every name. He is the Lord of all. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and, on under, and under the earth. And that one day, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Peter wants to make it absolutely clear to us that one day Jesus will return to judge the living and the dead. Yet the Christian does not need to fear this judgment because in Jesus we have already been declared not guilty. We have already been declared righteous and innocent. And as Anthony reminded us a couple of weeks ago, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is our gospel hope, friends. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Only everlasting joy. But for those who refuse to acknowledge Jesus as Lord, there will be a just judgment. There will be a condemnation. There will be eternal separation from God. That is why the resurrection of Jesus is so necessary. It is so vital to the Christian message, to the good news, the gospel, that there is hope. That there is hope of forgiveness, being made right with God, that our sins can be dealt with once for all, and peace, eternal peace. Before you meet Jesus as judge, if you're not a believer here this morning, if you're unsure that you're not a believer, whether you are or not, that you may meet him this very morning as the forgiver of sins, God's peacemaker. That's how Peter's sermon begins and ends. That we have peace, we have forgiveness. It's reconciliation. That's what God wants. That's what the gospel offers. And if you believe in him, you will receive forgiveness of sins through his name. You will be pardoned when you stand before him as judge. And if you are a Christian and believe in Jesus, and what that means is that, that we trust Jesus with our life as God's peacemaker... We trust him with our life as the Lord of all. That you trust him with your life as God's anointed one, full of the spirit and power. That you trust him with your life as stronger than sin and Satan. That you trust him with your life and death as the one who died and rose again and lives today. That you trust him with your life as the one who will judge the living and the dead. And that you trust him with your life as the forgiver of sins. Can I just say, if you believe in that Jesus, he will come to you in a way more more than just words on a page. He will come to you more powerful than a sermon preached, more real than a distant friend or relative. He will come in you, in your life. 
He will come in his glory to work in you, to change you, to transform you, to satisfy you, to help you, to grow you, to bring you closer and closer to God. That's why Peter exalted Jesus. And on this Easter Resurrection Sunday, we should exalt him more than ever before. Jesus is risen. And therefore, surely he needs more praise. Surely he needs the glory that he is due. We sit here as his church, as an illustration, as a symbol of his resurrection. He died so that we can be the people of God, to live for his glory with a real relationship with him. You know, Christian, the Christian life is hard. Nobody's ever said it's easy. Those who have probably haven't really understood it. But you know what? Jesus wants to fill our life with his power so that through everything that we face, that peace will reign in our hearts and that everlasting joy will be real and present in everything we go through. That is what Peter wanted to remind these people in Acts chapter 10. And I'm sure that is what God wants to remind us today on this Resurrection Sunday. No matter what, let us keep our eyes fixed on the death-defeating, risen, conquering, sin-beating Lord of all. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that we can remind ourselves, we can encourage ourselves, we can exalt the name of Jesus today through our singing, through our hearing of your word, through our hearing of this sermon, Lord. But our prayer is today, on this Resurrection Sunday, that, that Jesus will be far more real in our hearts and in our lives, in our minds, than just words on a paper and words that have come from my mouth this morning, Lord. May we experience today, in a real way, that peace, that Jesus, the Lord of all, came to bring. For we ask it in his name. Amen. Amen.